Spirit speaking to me personally about obedience. Obedience. And I must confess that I haven't always obeyed. And, well, not, not right away anyway. Um, sometimes, um, in fact, most of the time, I think it's because I seem to think that when I'm hearing the Holy Spirit, those things that he's talking to me about are not that important, you know? I, I, I always feel I know better than him. And, um, and then we can so easily dismiss that still quiet voice, can't we? So, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you about obedience, you begin to search through your life and you begin to look at those things that you know you've been hearing God about, but you haven't actually stepped up to it. But you see, the little things in your life can very easily become big things. And we mustn't ever underestimate what the scripture calls the little foxes that spoil the vines. Don't ever let that happen to you. You see, the ones that you think are unimportant can easily lead you down the road to ruin. In James 1.15, James says that desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has fully grown, brings forth death. So you can see something that begins just as a small desire can actually lead to death eventually. And habits that are bad habits that are not dealt with can eventually become so difficult you can never root them out. I saw it written once, they said that a little boy can take a young tree and he can bend it whichever way he likes. But a hundred men can't uproot an oak tree. And so once the habit takes root in your life and it's a bad thing, it's a sin, very difficult to get rid of. And so about three weeks ago, the Lord reminded me of this great commission in Matthew 28. And we're all familiar with those words. But I sensed a new urgency in them today. I sensed that God is saying, come on, come back to those words. You need to look at what I've said to you there. And when I began to think about what these words meant for me personally, I have to confess again to you that I haven't been that obedient to them. Inwardly and outwardly. And in the last few weeks, this was being confirmed to me in a, in a few instances. Last Sunday, our pastor Claude preached out of Revelation 3. And verse 2, there was one word that struck me. And it said, Jesus said to the church of Sardis, he said, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. I have not found your works complete. And I, I thought, wow, if I took that for myself, I realized that in many ways, some of the things that I've started for God, I've not completed for God. And then at an elders meeting in Cape Town, just over a week ago, the three of us went down to Cape Town and we, we listened. Andrew Selly had something to share with the elders of Joshua Generation Church. And guess which scriptures he quoted from on that day? Matthew 28 and Revelation 3. And the, the theme of the meeting was about radical obedience. Radical obedience. And do you know what radical obedience is? It's costly. You heard that prayer earlier on this morning? 
God's calling us into costly ground. He's calling us to step out which, in, in ways in which it's going to cost us. And then in my own reading, I've been challenged for some time by the words from 1 Peter 4.17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So this theme of becoming radically obedient was starting to sink in. I was starting to get it. And as I meditated on it, the Lord showed me what I've been missing personally. And I think for all of us who call ourselves Christ followers here. And I'm using that term Christ followers specifically because it's too easy to talk about Christians. Not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is a Christ follower. So the words in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, is a command. It's Jesus was speaking to his disciples then. He's speaking to his disciples now. It's a present, continuous command. It's for all time. For all time. And it's not a call to those who are not following Christ. The words in Revelation 3 were written to the church in Sardis. They weren't written to unbelievers. That church wasn't holding firm. It wasn't holding the line. Its works were dead. Or at best, they were incomplete. And the words that were written by Peter to Christians all over Roman Asian Minor were written to Christians. And if you think about it, why would Peter warn them about judgment to come on the church if he wasn't writing to Christians? So the church of Jesus Christ, wherever it is in the world today, and possibly with a few exceptions, is falling short of Jesus' great commission. Its primary goal, which is to preach the gospel, the good news, to all nations, has lost its urgency. Christ followers are not taking Jesus' words seriously. This is a hard word I'm bringing this morning because it's, it's a wake-up call. We've become a little bit dumbed down in our serving and in our commitment. And in many ways, this primary goal to, to preach the good news to all nations hasn't even started. I mean, just think about the towns here in Langeberg. When last did you see someone getting radically saved? And if any of them were saved, how many of them have gone on to maturity? How many of them are holding firm? How many of them are standing fast? How many of them are going to be finishing strong? I've lived here for, for 12 years, and in my experience, I've not seen many. Is that because God is not working in people's lives? 
Definitely not. But we got a great command from Jesus. Go therefore. Go therefore. Preach the gospel to all nations. And we've been slacking off. Now, it's not our place to judge other churches. What matters is whether we are responding fully to what God's called us to. You see, the reality of the situation is that I'm falling short of what God's called me to. I'm not cutting it. And you're falling short of what God's called you to. If you disagree with me, please stick your hand up. And we are falling short of the call God's placed on us. So I want us to revisit these words in Matthew 28. Let's go and have a look at them now. And let's read them with new eyes. In verse 18, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now when you unpack Jesus' words here, you become immediately aware that this is a radical command. And especially the, ver the words in verse 20, the first words, the words there, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That is a radical message. And this is where I'd want to camp this morning. You see, one thing that comes through loud and clear in those verses is that we can only go, make, go and make disciples as Jesus commands if we are living the life ourselves. If it ain't working at home, don't export it. Is that right? So what does living the life mean? Well, first of all, it doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. We don't need to have five theological degrees to be able to reach and teach the lost. I know a few people who've got PhDs in theology and they're not even saved. The issue is that you need to be born again. You need to be growing in grace. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. We need to be baptized in the Spirit. Before the disciples of Jesus were sent out of Jerusalem, he said to them, stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then you go out. All of these guys were sitting there not knowing quite what to do. When the Holy Spirit fell on them in Pentecost, it empowered them, it, it energized them, and they went out and they changed the world. We are sitting here today because of that. So our preaching must flow out of a fruit of a grace-filled and a spirit-led life. Now when Jesus speaks about all nations, he's speaking about people, all kinds of people. He's not only talking about those people who live on the other side of the world, 
Remember the old missionaries? They always used to, uh, especially the ones that left the shores of Britain, they used to stand on the, the docks ready to get on the ship. And I believe they had a lifespan of about six months because they would get on this boat and they thought they were going out to the world in obedience to this commission to go and preach the gospel to the heathen. Jesus wasn't just talking about those people. He was talking about your neighbors. He was talking about the people that live over the road from you and next door to you. And he was talking about your, your unsaved families and your friends. And he's talking about your employers, your bosses, the people who work for you and your fellow workers. And you know what? There are thousands of them. You don't have to go very far to find them. That's who he's talking about. And he said, go, therefore, go to them. Have you done that? Spoken to your neighbor across the road? Does he know that you love the Lord? Have you told him about Jesus? And it's not just about filling their heads with information. Jesus is not just thinking about conversion here. He says, turn them into disciples of me. Become followers of me, he says. It's a very clear command. It's not complicated. There's no alternatives to it. He's not saying, well, if you think like, or if you feel like doing it. He's saying, go, therefore, and do it. And that's what struck me. Because I thought, I've read this, I don't know how many times over the past 40 years. And I don't know how many times I've actually been obedient to it. You see, it was an outrageous command 2,000 years ago. It's outrageous today. 2,000 years ago, they never had the internet. They never had any of the stuff that we have today. And it's still outrageous today. Because in a world where we live, everything is relative and it's subjective. Where we are supposed to be all tolerant. We tolerate everything. Yet while we're tolerating everything, we're intolerant. You know what I'm saying? That's what people are like today. And so it's even more outrageous. In fact, beloved, you risk a great deal if you talk like that today. One of our elders has a, a market at the Montague Market on a Saturday. He makes jewelry, which he sells. And in between times, he prays for people and talks to people with one of the ladies from our church. And this last Saturday, he was approached by the people who organized the market, and he was asked not to preach, not to preach or pray for anybody any longer because there'd been some people who'd complained. They were offended. So you see, we live in a society today where talking about Jesus is outrageous. It's outrageous. So Jesus says, is saying, go and tell everyone, everywhere, that he is the only way to God. Try this. Tell them that only Jesus can forgive sins against God. Only Jesus. Tell them that only Jesus can provide righteousness before God. 
and tell them that only Jesus can give eternal life. Go and tell them that and see what happens. You risk your life in some parts of the world if you do that. It'll get you killed in those places. And in places like here in South Africa today, it gets you ridiculed and scorned and mocked and you are called dangerous and you are called a hater. And your family may walk away from you. Jesus said in Matthew 10.36, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And at the same time, just think about how ridiculous this is. There's nothing you can tell anybody about Jesus that is hurtful or harmful or uncaring. In fact, what you're telling them about Jesus is that he loves them. In fact, he loves them so much that he died for them. Why on earth would anybody hate that kind of message? It doesn't make any kind of sense. Because we're telling them, folks, that they're not in control of their own destinies as they think they are. That's why. And it worries them because deep down inside they know it's not true. They know it's true. So in verse 18 of that Great Commission, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does that mean? It means he's in charge. That's where the buck stops. He has authority. He's also actually saying, I wouldn't send you to all the nations if I didn't have the authority to do so. So let me ask you this question. Do you believe that he has that authority? Really? Do you believe it? So why haven't you been obedient? Why haven't you stepped out there and done it? Why are we so, why do we hold back so much? Why are we so reticent to do this? But there's more here, you see. It's not just about sharing information about Jesus. People can read about Jesus on the internet. It's about making them disciples of Jesus. That's what his commander is speaking about. Go and make disciples of me. Disciples are disciplined people. They're people who care. They're people who are convicted, convinced, and committed. So what he's saying is, when you go out there and you start sharing with people about Jesus, when someone responds to your good news and they come to faith and they are baptized, make sure they know what this baptism means. Teach them to understand that they've died through, with Christ through faith. Teach them that their old self is now buried in the waters of baptism. Teach them that just as Jesus was raised to new life, they are raised to walk in newness of life with him. And teach them that none of us had anything to do with anything of that. 
It was entirely a gift of God. The Father planned it, the Son accomplished it, and the Holy Spirit is applying it in our lives. Teach them those things. So we can introduce them to Jesus, but then we don't just leave them there. I got introduced to Jesus at a Reinhardt Bonnke meeting in 1982, quite a long time ago. They told me all about Jesus, and I made a commitment to Jesus, but nobody taught me all this other stuff. Nobody told me I had to be born again. Nobody told me what Jesus had done for me. Nobody explained to me what the baptism was about. Nobody told me that when Jesus died, I died with him. Nobody told me these things. And nobody said that because he rose from the dead, I too rose into newness of life. I didn't know that. So what happened was I fell away. I backslid for four years. I drifted back into the world. And do you know what a backslider is? It's the most miserable form of human existence. Because you know the truth, but you're not living in the truth. And you know that what you're doing isn't right. But that's what Jesus is saying here. I don't want you to just tell them about me. I want you to explain what I've done how it's changed your life and the life of everybody else. Teach them to observe everything I commanded you. So when Jesus started that verse, that passage of scripture off, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And what he was doing there, he was giving us the reason for radical obedience. Just think about that for a minute. All authority has been given to me. On that basis alone, you have the reason to radically obey me. I'm in charge. I'm in complete control. And you know what? He didn't leave us hanging because he ended that passage of scripture with these words. He said, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that gives us the hope that we can do these things. He's given, given us the reason and he's given us the hope that it's going to work out. So he's saying, I've got total authority in this world. I won't leave you. I've got total rights over all people, everybody you will ever talk to. I have a right of ownership. I have a right of redemption to their souls and no matter how they respond to you or what they do to you, I will be with you while you do it. Because I love you and I gave myself for you and because I chose you for myself and I called you and I sent you, I will always be with you. And this promise holds till this mission is finished on this earth. So, 
So what does it mean to make a disciple? Well, I think a large part of the answer is in that verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And this is the part that, that really caught my attention a few weeks ago. And I've been meditating on it almost daily since then. I think a, a stumbling block for many of us is the last phrase there, all that I have commanded you. And I think what happens is when we think about everything that Jesus said, it just seems like so much. How can I possibly teach other people all the things that Jesus taught? How, how can I do that? And you almost feel like weighted down and you think, oh, I, I don't know if I can do this. And so you just don't get started. You see, we can only do it, and there's, I mean, there's hundreds of those commands. And it's, it's really very, very uh, difficult to teach people who have fallen like us and self-centered like us and full of ourselves like us. So that most of us give up before we start. That's exactly true if we try to do it in our own strength. We can't do it. And so we see a man like Paul sitting in a Roman prison and he's writing a letter to the Philippian church and there he is. Imagine him in the prison. He's in chains. He's probably chained to a Roman guard. And he says uh, in Philippians 4 verse 13, I think, um, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Think of his circumstances and think about what he's saying. Now think of your circumstances and how do you feel? Like, do you feel like Paul? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, if it's possible for Paul, it's possible for me. I have to believe it. And it's possible for you. But how does that work out in practice? Well, I want to share something with you here. You see, it's only possible by the Spirit of God. Only if the Holy Spirit is moving and empowering you will you be able to do it in His strength. But Jesus hasn't left us alone. He's given us seven foundational commandments. And I just want to list these for you. He says you must be born again. You must be born again. That's imperative. You must be able to come to Him when you're weak and heavy laden. You must believe in him because he's the fountain of living water. You must repent of all self-reliance and sin. You must love him above all others. Listen to him since his words are life and abide in him as the life-giving vine. You see, in essence what he is saying is, and all of those things is you don't have to do in your own strength. You just have to trust him. And what he is saying is, I know you're helpless. I know you can't keep my commandments in your own strength. So I know you can't teach others to keep them. But come to me. Trust me. Listen to me. Treasure me above all else. Abide in me. And I will produce your fruit. 
And effectively what Jesus is saying is, if you do these things, your life becomes the gospel. Your life becomes the good news. It's your life, it's your changed life that makes disciples of others. And we know this because Jesus said, I'm always with you, even to the end of the age. And when he says he's always with you, it doesn't just mean in your waking moments, or when you're in church, or when you're in fellowship. It means always. He's always with you. He's always with you. And this means that the great commission will become a successful mission. We can, we can take it to the bank. Okay, so where do we go from here? Now, one thing we must bear in mind, Jesus didn't say, teaching them all that I have commanded you. He said, teaching them to observe all that I'm commanding you. All right, there's a difference. In other words, he's saying, don't just fill their heads with information about what Jesus commanded 2,000 years ago. Don't just go and print out all the red words in your Bible. You know, in the New Testament, anybody got a red-lettered version? Don't just go and give them all those words. The devil has got all that data in his head, and he doesn't listen. And he doesn't obey. And our job is not to lift people up to the level of the devil. Eh? Our job is not to do that. We have to show them so that they can observe, they can see it in our lives. That's how we make disciples. Now the word observe in English means to watch and sometimes also listen to someone or something Carefully. And here's another definition. To watch carefully, especially with attention to details or behavior for the purpose of arriving at a judgment. The Afrikaans word, I think, is varnium for observe. And I quite like it if I break that into two words, var and niem, true and take. So take it as true. How's that? For a quick little explanation of, of varnium. In other words, let it sink in as significant. Let it sink in. Now there's a difference between just watching something and observing. Now let me give you an example. I can go and watch a rugby match. I'm sure everybody here has watched a rugby match at some stage. Sort of. Some of us, most of us. I can go and watch this rugby match without the slightest clue of what's going on. Especially if I come from a soccer-mad country. And what I'll do is if, if I'm watching, what I'm seeing is 30 men running around a big patch of grass, chasing a little bag of wind, and knocking the stuffing out of each other. That's what you see. You, you're seeing it. But what you're seeing without understanding is not the game. Okay? You're not observing it. 
That kind of watching is seeing without understanding. It's meaningless. Or I can take a greater interest in the game. And so I go and learn about the rules. And I ask some questions. And the next time I go and watch the rugby match, I start noticing a few differences. There's still 30 men on the patch of grass, and they're still chasing a little bag of wind. But actually, they're doing it in a very clear order. And they're using their talents, which are all different, to create a team. And the team that wins the game has the greater teamwork. And so I'm seeing all sorts of things coming out of this game to me that have got very little to do with rugby. They have a common purpose of scoring a goal. And they play to a set of rules. And so the game takes on a new meaning. That is observing. It's seeing with understanding. Observing is seeing with understanding. So when Jesus says, teach them to observe, what he is saying is, I want them to understand what is going on here. So, people can go to church every Sunday. And they can watch the preacher giving a sermon. And they can watch the musicians lead the people in worship. And it might even give them a warm feeling. They might go home and they think, wow, that was nice. And then they do nothing else until the same time next week. Their lives don't change. That's not observing. It's seeing without understanding. Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 13, while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. But otherwise, Christians, if you go back to Acts 2.42, where we see the formation of the first church. Luke writes there, he says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. But the key there is continually devoting themselves. It wasn't just a Sunday to Sunday existence. It was day by day. Daily they were meeting each other in the temple courts and in their homes. They were sharing things that they had with each other daily. They were growing together in grace. They were seeing changes taking place. They were observing what God was doing in other people's lives and it was impacting them. Even the Roman general said, see how these Christians love one another. It was evident to him. And that particular scripture in Acts 2.42 reveals the key to discipleship. They were continually devoting themselves. They were completely focused on God's word and on the fellowship with God's people. They observed what it meant to be a child of God. And so they discipled one another and they grew in favor and in stature with man and with God. 
So we are being taught the way Jesus commanded when we start observing how it changes our own lives as we walk in it. And you know what happens when, when you are committed to the word of God and when you are committed to one another like that? As you spend more and more time in his word, as you spend more and more time in fellowship with one another, we start to notice changes taking place in our own lives. Can you, say, can you see that? Things start happening. We observe that our lives are not filled with as much anxiety as they used to be. I used to be a bag of stress, eh? It was before I came to know the Lord. Everything worried me. If, if I got so anxious about what might never happen that I almost wished it into existence. I was set free from that. So I began to observe in my own life, wow, I don't worry about those things quite so much anymore. Because God is doing a change in me. And so in my own family, people who got used to seeing me the way I used to be, they now start asking the question, what has changed in this man's life? He doesn't worry like this anymore. Something's happened. They're observing the change that's taking place. We observe that we become more gracious and loving towards other people. Before I came to know the Lord, I have to confess that I was quite dismissive. Um, oh, he doesn't suffer fools gladly, would be a comment made, or um, he's, he's very stern. And, and I would avoid people, so become quite introverted. But you see, what happens is when Jesus breaks into your life, you start to see other people through his eyes, because he is in me. He's the hope of glory. It's no longer about me. It's all about him. And so when I look at people, and when I mix with people, I love them. And, I'm, and I realize that I'm more gracious and more patient. Nothing to do with me. It's Christ in me who's been working that out in me. And so people who used to know me before, now meet me now and they say, what's happened? You've never been quite so patient before. You know, in the old days, you would dismiss this. They're observing. They're becoming disciples through observation. And we also discover that we, serving other people becomes easier to do. And, and we love gathering together. I love being with Christians. I love gathering to worship God and praise God. It comes out of what God has wrought in my own heart. And then we're also being taught the way Jesus commanded when we see, when we observe how what God's doing in us spills over into other people's lives. And so sometimes when you are walking with God and you're mixing with other people, especially new Christians, and you notice that they're kind of watching you. They haven't woken up in the morning and thought, well, I'm really going to watch this guy to see whether he lives out his life. It's an unconscious kind of subliminal thing, but they, they, they notice, they feel, 
that somehow they, they need to watch and see what's happening here. And so almost unconsciously they find themselves changing. And they start doing things quite similar to the way you do them. And it's not because they're mindless or they don't have uh, the ability to make choices for themselves, but it's because what they're doing is they're observing a disciple growing in grace and they like what they see and they want to be like that. You see, that's how we're to teach them, Jesus says. We teach them to observe. They've been watching without understanding. So now we teach them in such a way that they are completely transformed and as a result, they have a desire to obey. They want to be radically obedient. I see, what I see there, I want to be like that. And if it means I have to be radically obedient, that's what I'm going to do. And that turns people into self-replenishing teachers. The teacher teaches others who become teachers, who teach others who become teachers. That is the, the crux of that message. Go out into the world and make disciples of all nations. And once I've made a disciple, that disciple will somebody, disciple somebody else. And he does it by teaching them to observe. Paul in that same chapter, Philippians 4 verse 9, he said, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What he's saying is, see, learn and do. What you've learned, received heard and seen in your brothers and your sisters imitate those things and then what others will learn and receive and hear and see in you they will begin to imitate those things that's making disciples and I'm finishing off now it says that changes hearts that's what changes hearts if Jesus had said, teach them all that I've commanded you, that would have been hard. Because there's hundreds of commandments that he gave. But Jesus didn't say that. He said something actually that is much harder. He said, teach them to not only know, but observe all that I've commanded you. Because you see, it's one thing to put commandments in people's heads. It's another thing to change their hearts so that they willingly and gladly obey. That's what we're looking for. And so let me end with a scripture that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. And I think it basically sums up everything that I've said. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4, and I'm changing it slightly just to make it more relevant to us here. Let your speech and message not be in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that their faith, the faith of those disciples yet to be made, might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God.
So, I hope I've challenged you today. I hope that I've pointed out to you that you've been slack. Like me. And it's time to wake up. Um, and perhaps like the Holy Spirit's been working in my life is just to is to shine a spotlight on the areas of my life that need to change. Some of the things that need to be done away with, some things that need to be added, and some things that need to change. And as we radically obey, as the Spirit leads, we begin to see that God comes in and begins to use us to a greater extent. And I want to encourage you with that this morning. So let's just pray. Father, I thank you that your word, your word has power beyond our understanding. I want to thank you, Lord, that the way in which you have changed, have challenged me in the last few weeks has caused me to sit back and realize that no matter how long I've walked with you, there's always room for improvement. And Lord, I, I'm pretty sure that that would be the, the case with most people here this morning. Father, our desire is to please you. And I pray that in the days that lie ahead, and I include all those men who at the moment on the camp, I pray that our desire, Lord, will be to go out and to preach the gospel to all nations and teach them to observe all that you've commanded us. We can do that, Lord, because your word says you will be with us even to the end of the age. And I ask that in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.